You are listening to the Coming Up for Air podcast hosted by Air Moms Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. This podcast is sponsored by alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up for Air brings together two wonderful people, both of whose adult sons are in recovery from opiate addiction. Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall have been through years of their loved one's active addiction. They have come to understand the direct link between taking care of yourself and being able to help your loved one. During these conversations, Lori and Annie address the questions and concerns brought up by Allies and Recovery members. And now, coming up for air with Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. Everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of Coming Up for Air. I am one of your hosts, Annie Highwater, recovery writer and author. And joining me today is my co-host Lori McDougall, who has a special guest to introduce to us today. How are you doing, Lori? Good, good. How are you, Annie? Good. Summer's in full swing. It sure is. Okay, so today we have a special guest with us, Kathy. Tarbell? Is that how I pronounce it? Pretty close, yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And I'd I'd just like to read off the long list of credentials that Kathy has. She has an associate certificate for coaching with the International Coach Federation, a certified parent coach with the Parent Coach Trainers Academy, a certified life coach with the Life Institute of Orange County. Is that life? No, no, no. It's Life Life Academy Institute of Orange County. Okay. A certificate of completion through Bob Myers and Kraft and is a member of the Institute of Coaching with the Parent Support Network for Partnership for Drug-Free Kids. Mm -hmm. Um, You have a bachelor's in psychology with the University of the Pacific. Yes. And you also have (laughs) your own parent coaching program, and you have the Rise Up Mom support group. Did I give a good list? Yes, you did. (laughs) Thank you. I know that's (laughs) probably more than I needed to put on there, but... uh, (laughs) But overqualified, which isn't a bad thing. (laughs) So we were hoping that you might kind of start us off with maybe your story and how you got so involved in helping to coach parents who are struggling with loved ones with substance use disorder. Sure. No, I'd be happy to. So I, you know, was just a regular parent going along. I have three children and it wasn't till later in my daughter's high school years that we sort of noticed something was a little off. We weren't quite sure what it was. But she managed to get herself off to college. She went off to Boulder. But it really went downhill at that point. She could barely get through the first semester. Second semester was worse. She went to summer school to kind of stay in school and then tried one more semester. And then at that point, she said, I can't, you know, I'm going to work. I can't do this. And I never, you know, I sort of say to myself, sometimes was I in denial? Why didn't I realize what was going on? But as many parents, you just, I had not really experienced this in my family. So uh, I finally flew back there in June after that second year. I mean, she was coming back and forth. But as many of these kids are, she's a very smart girl, was able to cover a lot of this up um, just to kind of, you know, she could maintain for the most part. But I went back to um, Colorado and found out she was using crystal meth. She was, you know, not doing well at all. And 
she luckily, you know, we had the emotional, you know, discussion about that. Um, and she was willing to come back. You know, I just said, I'm not, I'm not leaving you here to do this. And she really had not made any connections. She'd had a boyfriend, you know, it's always the bad boyfriend that gets involved. So she'd had a boyfriend that had gone back there with her. That was sort of ending. She hadn't really made any friends. She really, her life, there was just nothing going on there for her. So she was willing to come back. And I will say we were extremely lucky because we really wanted to get her into a treatment program. We realized this was more than we ever could handle. So I reached out to a couple of different professionals, got her into a wilderness program in Utah that was recommended. And then they wanted her to do an aftercare. So she went to Southern California after that. Well, the wilderness program was five weeks. And then she went to a women's program in Southern California for three months and then stayed with their sober living program after that. So she was in treatment for a while um, and then stayed. We're in Northern California. She stayed in Southern California for about six years. I mean, she worked and went back to school and all those things, but she was away from home, away from her, you know, environment here. And she has said, if I came back after those five weeks, I would have probably used again. So I was glad that, you know, but from that experience, I think because I was a teacher, you know, I'd worked with young kids. And I think for some, you know, I think as a teacher, you feel especially the shame because you, you know, I had fourth graders, I'm talking to their parents, getting them ready for middle school. And yet my, you know, my daughter's back at the house, you know, doing drugs, which I didn't realize at the time. So you feel pretty, you know, uh, I think I felt, you know, the stigma and shame of the whole thing. And I was at a point in my life, I'd stopped teaching. I just felt like I wanted to do something. The more parents I met, I started going to meetings. I started trying to find out more things about it. And the more parents I met, you know, I just, the whole thing just really bothered me. I just, you know, all these kids were going down this road and it just, you know, we never had this when, you know, I was growing up, you know, there might be a person here or there that had a problem, but very rare. And now it just seems so prevalent. So um, I think a part of it was that and part of it, I just was really ready for a new project. So yeah, so I just decided to start my website and my blog and I started out blogging. I just was had a website, started blogging, writing about it, which was very therapeutic for me. But after a certain point, I kind of felt like, you know, I really want to be more connected with parents and do something a little bit more. So at that point, at one point in those couple few beginning years, the Partnership for Drug-Free Kids reached out to me and I became connected with them and then started doing my coach own personal coach training. And they invited me to do their coach training with the Center for Motivation Change. And that's how I learned about craft. And that was just eye-opening for me. I was just, all of us in the room were just, you know, oh my gosh, you know, because we'd all been told maybe similar to what both of you, you know, there's one way you go to Al-Anon, which is great. And I think Al-Anon's a great program. It helps many parents. Many of the people I work with, some go to Al-Anon and do the evidence-based, some prefer the evidence-based. It just depends, but I like it. It's just, there's a couple points in there that, you know, I think the crap doesn't agree with the 12-step programs. On, with, on program. Can I ask you what, just for our newer listeners to explain what evidence-based is? Right. So for evidence-based, um, for example, the craft approach is they've done research. So Bob Myers has, has done a research on this program. And Dr. Myers is the one who started craft. He's from New Mexico. So he had, uh, there's been several studies, but one of the studies that he, and I think they've repeated this study a few times, they took um, groups of parents in 12-week sessions of either the craft approach, Al-Anon, or um, intervention. 
And the intervention and I believe the Al-Anon group was about 13% were able to move their, the point was trying to move a loved one from using to being willing to, to, to go to treatment. So the Al-Anon group was about 13%, which they say, and it's true, is that Al-Anon is, that's not what their goal is. So it wasn't like Al-Anon's telling people that, you know, you're going to get your child in treatment. So that's, you know, but they just want people to understand if you go to Al-Anon, it's a great support program and don't expect it to get your child in treatment. And then the intervention group was around 30%. And then the craft group was about 70%. So that was, I thought was really interesting that there was such a big difference there. And to me, when they taught the program, when, you know, they gave the information, it was the psychologist who taught this program from the Center for Motivation Change. It just made so much sense. Is that this just to me, because I think, you know, parents and I find this all the time, super struggle with the let go model. I mean, trying to let go of your children who you've raised from childhood is terrifying. So this gave parents another option. I also think uh, that it sounds like our paths were actually very similar in how I ended up identifying with craft. But I also was a teacher, believe it or not. I was a high school math teacher. Oh, okay. So yep. you know. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I agree with you that there were a lot of concepts with Al-Anon and Naranon, which I, don't get me wrong, my Al-Anon and Naranon groups really, really helped me a tremendous mm-hmm. amount. It really helped get me healthy again right. so I could, I could continue on. But I found that there were a lot of things in those groups that I felt like people were misinterpreting the words to mean, you know, one thing when it no, it didn't necessarily have to mean that. So, and, and what I mean by that is like when, when you hear things like let go, a lot of people seem to interpret it as it means let go and let them completely go, just let them go, right? Mm-hmm. Where actually there can be a letting go without letting the person completely leave your life, right. if that makes sense. I think we have similar experiences in that particular area. No, it sounds like it. And I think you're right. I think one of the problems is there's so much confusion about what that really means. And different people interpret it different ways. So right. It's hard. It's, it's confusing for parents. Right. And also the other, the other thing about craft that I feel is different from Naranon and Al-Anon. And Al-Anon, Naranon, nobody tells you anything. And I remember in the beginning, I needed someone to tell me what I could do. What can I do right now, right here, right now? And everybody would say, well, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing Mm -hmm. you can do. You have to wait. You have to wait. You have to wait. Then I realized, no, I don't have to wait. I can come up with a plan. I might not be able to do, I might not be able to save him. I might not be able to to do what I really want to do, which is to force him to go and do something. But there is always something I can do. I can come up with a plan. I can do some research and I can figure out what residential treatments are in the area. You know, I can look up intensive outpatient treatments, but I, or or even if it's just, it's kind of like Annie and her son, I know that there were times that her son wasn't living at home and she would go down and visit with him. She didn't take him home. She didn't take him home with her. She didn't, but you know, she had clear, very clear cut boundaries, but she was still doing something, Mm -hmm. right? She wasn't sitting around waiting and, you know, and, and just falling apart. 
kind of thing. Sometimes but falling apart. I would like to add. Oh yeah. I, I'd like to add that I am a big supporter of Naranon, and I attend a meeting and feel like it safeguarded my sanity. And mm-hmm. parallel to that, I believe in the craft method, and I thought they were two totally different things. I went yeah. to on for my sanity, my support to kind of listen and unload and, and have be among friends that maybe had this situation going on and were real about it. But then when it came to applying craft method and dealing with my son, I often referred to, you know, craft method, other websites or therapists that I knew that work in the court system specializing in substance abuse and family dysfunction and things like that. So I did have a wonderful experience with Naranon and I do recommend it and advocate for it. But I just, I kind of feel like craft and everything else is in addition to it. For me personally, it was in addition. I agree. And Annie, you know, that's a really good point that you bring up. And it's something that um, I have a tough time with because I think that people think that when others say something about Naranon or Al-Anon, that they think that that it's putting it down or it's not... But that's not it. And that's why I always preface it with actually Al-Anon and Naranon really saved me in the very beginning. Right. Right. And it's not one size fits all. And I mean, there's a lot of work to do be done on yourself and your own participation in it. Craft teaches that behavior modification. And, you know, it's kind of like picking out what therapy works for you. I don't think saying certain aspects of it don't work or putting it down or saying it can't work in other ways right. people at all. Right. And I also think that there, it depends on the group. It can really, really oh, yes, depend on the group, important. you know? It's kind of like any church setting or um, McDonald's restaurant, the employees are kind of have a different vibe and atmosphere. And, and you know, I've been treat, mistreated in churches and different situations right. and not felt the vibe or not felt the, you know, support and the substance that I needed. So yeah, it definitely varies. It is right. not a one size fits all by any means in in any part of the process. Right. Okay. Well, um, another question I have, there is another big topic that's kind of drawing a lot of attention right now. And this is the idea of tough love or no tough love. I'm hoping you might comment on that, Kathy. You might (laughs) give us your viewpoint. That's another big one. And let me just preface one other thing as you were talking before, and I will get into it, is the Alan. I think the other big advantage of the Alan on those 12 steps groups is that you can find local people, you can find local resources, and you can find, you know, talk to people there and find out who, where are they going, what doctors are they using, and all that kind of thing. So I was thinking about that as you were talking. Um, so yes, tough love is a biggie, um, and parents... And again, I remember when we were doing the, tr- the training, Robert, I don't know if this was a particular study, maybe it was part of it, but Ro- Dr. Myers said he presented his information to a tough love group and quite a few of them decided to leave the tough love group go with him because I think our natural instincts as parents are to be loving to our children and to take care of them. So again, I think one of the issues with tough love is it's confusing. It's like, what does that really mean? I mean, does it mean you throw your kid out and lock the door? Does it mean you turn your back? You never talk to them? I mean, some people may say it means, you know, you tell your child, you know, don't contact me until you're sober. I mean, there's a lot of different things about it that are really confusing for parents. But I think the general feel for the parents that I work with, at that, that that is not helpful for them. Because I think what the beauty of craft is, it gives you a lot of these other things tell you what not to do, but they don't really say what you should be doing. So that's what I found was great about craft is that you can then have things that you can actually do. I mean, this is what you should be doing. And tough love is really, again, about just giving the cold shoulder in 
in general. That's kind of a broad brush. Now, again, for some people down the road, if you've tried everything, I mean, I say to some people feel like they just are emotionally exhausted and can't take it anymore. And they have to do use some of that approach. And I, you know, I think, again, there's not one size fits all. Everyone needs to figure out what works for them. My main goal is letting people know that there's all these different options. You know, there's, you know, the 12, the tough love's one of them. 12 steps is one of them. The craft approach is another. So go through and pick and see what makes sense for your child. I think the idea of the hitting rock bottom, though, is one that is maybe categorized under tough love. And we know we're losing a lot of kids, you know. So is this really what we want to be doing? Um, It really seems to me that it makes more sense to reach in, to move forward, to lean in, however you want to put it, to work with your child as best as you can to move them toward recovery, towards change as quickly as you can and as early on as you can because it doesn't get any better you know the that the negative consequences just get worse the family is stressed siblings are stressed marriages you know i've heard of marriages just about that collapse and all those kind of things so yeah it's 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 hard out there for all these families it really is for me being a more loving reaching out that fits for my personality. And so for me, that tough love just, I, I don't think I could have ever done that with my kids. I just, right. You know, so. Right. I really think we should get rid of the term. I think, the, I think the biggest issue is, is the actual term. And again, I think it's like this human interpretation of it. It's what it means to, to have tough love. I think before there can ever be an argument, we have to really, really define it. And nobody has actually really truly defined what tough love is. I think that if we if we just drop that term and just talk about what it is that we can do, what's tough may be what's tough on the parents and not it, it, it's almost like things are tougher on the parents or tougher on the families. And to me, that's really tough love because I still love him, but what I have to do by setting up healthy effective boundaries is tough, (laughs) is hard work, it's hard stuff. And to me, that's tough love. I wish that this particular argument would kind of go away and we would just kind of focus on, well, what can we do? What can we do kind of like what you were talking about within the parents' abilities with, you know, like you said, different things, different strokes for different folks, right? And just finding, well, what works for us? Not arguing over whether we should have tough love or we shouldn't have tough love. While I'm thinking about it, successful intervention strategies to help a loved one deal with his or her substance use are often counterintuitive. Our sponsor, alliesinrecovery.net, offers suggestions that have been proven effective in getting loved ones into treatment and helping them stay there while reducing the stress, blame, and guilt we so often feel. I encourage listeners to join alliesinrecovery.net today. So as you were saying... Yes. There's no real clear definition. So people throw that term around a lot and you want to say, well, what do you actually mean by, you know, what exactly is, are we talking about here? So, and I'm not sure I know what that is either. It's just, but it feels like a more pushback sort of a approach that I just, I'm not so crazy about, but again, you know, at some point there are, you know, I, I guess what I will say is that there are people that have gone on 
have worked, you know, had to deal with this with their kids for years. And I think at some point, some parents do need to step back. And that feels a little nicer term than tough. You know, just, I need to take a step back. And, you know, even if it can be just temporary, maybe you just need to take a temporary step back and regroup and rest because it, it runs, you know, it's very difficult for parents. And I just add, a, I think it's become one of those catch-all phrases, you know, like rock bottom, tough love. And you kind of interpret it as be, it means you have to be mean and cold and, you know, mean love. And punish. Yes. And I kind of started looking at it like I needed to use smart love. I needed to love you different and modify how I handled you. That means sometimes there's separation in space, but I wasn't going to cut off communication. I was going to cut off conflict and arguing and certain resources, but I'm not cutting you off from, you know, my heart or reaching out to you and things like that. So I replaced tough love with personally smart loved worked for me and I didn't use it as a catch all phrase. Because we get caught in all of these kind of cliche things. And like you said, there is a generation that's dying right in front of us. And I I get emails and calls about it every day. I got a tragic one today that a child on life support. Do you tell a mom whose son was just walking and talking two days ago, do tough love and cut him off. And then two days later, he's on life support. And that was her last contact with him. Maybe just a smart version of love where you give some separation and space, but let them know, I love you. I'm here for you. You know, go, if you go into treatment, we want your life to turn around, but I hate the whole tough love concept personally. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. And I also, I hate it when I hear, well, I use tough love and it worked. And I often say, well, what did it do? Why is it that you don't hear people saying, well, I use, I didn't use tough love and it worked. You know, it's. People just think that it means that you have to be a doormat and sit on the couch while your life runs amok. Right. And that's the opposite. It's not all or nothing. It's not, it's not mm-hmm. that, hey, if I love my child, that means I'm just ignoring and smiling and winking at this addiction that's devouring it. It, it doesn't mean that at all. That's why clarifying terms and what you can do is right. critical. Right, which is also what happens with tough love. The exact same thing that what you're talking about happens with when you hear tough love, people think that, oh, I kicked him out any experience I had of using tough love advice wounded both of us and made the situation worse. And I was usually given that advice by somebody who it was often my friend that had a three-year-old tucked in bed every night. And she was giving me this advice for my 18-year-old son, an only child, 18 years old, not even barely an adult whose life is spiraling. So, I mean, we really need professional experienced help for how to modify. And I don't think tough love is it. Well, it sounds like all three of us are in, yeah. are in relative agreement. I think we're fed up with that term. Yeah. yeah. Let's just get rid of the term. Right. Okay. So, Kathy, I see that in your credentials that you are, you know, trained in craft. And, I mean, you, you talked about Bob Myers and, um, and Partnership for Drug-Free Kids. Do you use craft exclusively? Do you have other methods that you're combining with craft? Can you just kind of talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, I, when I do my coaching, I do most of the clients that I have, I do let them know that that's the approach that I like. You know, I just find it helpful. I was giving them the 20 minute guide for, for my individual long-term clients, but now I'm kind of going, would you rather have Beyond Addiction or the 20 minute guide? I don't know if you guys have read those, but the, they're both good. Yeah. It's just the 20 minute guide. Some of the examples are more for teenagers. And so, you know, I've had a couple like, oh, you know, maybe a little bit too young, but it's really the concepts are good for everyone. So yes, I basically use coaching 
techniques with parents. I mean, I, my philosophy is that I think parents really know many of the answers. What coaching does and what helps with them is just to bring it out and to get clear. I think they're very confused often, which I was too. I had no idea what to do. And so it's really talking it through and getting it clear. So lots of the coaching is that, you know, we're, we're in a certain situation, what are some options that we can do? We do a lot of brainstorming. Now, let's brainstorm two or three options or more options, you know, whatever feels right. And let's look at what feels that it's going to be the most appropriate. But I do weave in, they ask about the craft. I talk, you know, let them know about how the positive communication piece can really be helpful. I remind them to take care of themselves, that that's important. Um, the natural consequences piece is difficult for many parents. Uh, some do a really good job at it. Others, it's just challenging. You know, you want to be clear with your kids. But again, it's always a situation. You know, it's different things um, for certain parents. They have to figure out where their line in the sand is. And it's not the same for every parent. So we talk about that and, you know, how, what can be the best way for you to move forward with your child. So it is a little bit of a combination of coaching techniques and the craft approach and just basic, you know, common sense probably too much some of it, you know. Right. It's, yeah, it's a little bit of everything, but. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's interesting to me because I run a support group for families that struggle with a loved one and we use the 20 minute guide and I use the Beyond Beyond Addiction and, and I use the Allies and Recovery website. And what I find is all of this stuff that we're talking about is really about getting back to basics. There's a few things that I, the more I did delve into it and dig and research, I'm like, this is just getting back to basics. This is all about having respect for them. I find the quieter a person or a parent or a family member can be, the, or the less words that you use or the it's just it's all about getting this calmness you know getting logical thinking back into it drop your weapons yeah drop your weapons <laughs> yeah when when you're in all of this chaos and yeah. how difficult it is to I to narrow it down that that's what you need to do so so hard which is why we need good people out there like you Kathy, and we need the Allies in Recovery website. We need Center for Motiva- Motivation for Change. All of these, all of these things. So you've talked a little bit about how uh, craft and coaching. What are some of the barriers or struggles that you're seeing in helping families? I kind of wrote down a few that we hear at Allies in Recovery, like um, getting families on the same page. Huge problem. Yeah. That's a huge it's one. Huge. Um, and yes, and all, you know, often the parents, yeah, you know, they're all, they're going in different ways, and it's it's hard because you see the struggle and you know what they're it it plays on their marriage. I mean, it's just a huge piece. So, um, I had a dad recently, you know, that I'm working with right now, and I think the, the I feel like the last session the child was moving forward, but the mom was so and and it can go both ways but the mom wasn't wanting to be a little bit more cut and dry and the dad you know would just still can, wants to pay the rent still wants to you know keep doing these things that are not and when the child is not stepping up so those you know some examples and again sometimes that's appropriate to do that and sometimes it's not but for that particular family it was causing a lot of friction or it can be the other way the mom just cannot follow through on any of the natural consequences or their own boundaries. And then the dad gets frustrated because they're 
So yes, that's a huge one. It's difficult. Are you seeing involved grandparents? Because that's a little bit on the rise as well. Kind of a grandparent that's stepping involved and making it tough on the parents who are united. Yes, that is another one where the the child will run and I have kids that will go live at grandparents' house because they'll be giving them the money or they're housing them or whatever, which is, you know, but they're not, the grandparents aren't always, sometimes they are, but not always really schooled on what would be the best approach to this, you know. So it's a fight for the parents against the grandparents who are kind of believing, yeah, yeah, that's kind of when it gets even messier. Yes, yes. So there are a lot of roles. And then, you know, there's the siblings too that are in there too, and they're feeling resentful and left out and, you know, they're trying to do the right thing many times and the parents are paying attention to this other child. So, you know, that's a, that's an issue too. So, but yeah, collaboration is huge. Then there's, you know, some of the other things are, you know, they do come into coaching and they want the fix. They want it. They want to get this thing fixed and get back to their comfort zone and all of those kind of things. And it's important to make people realize it's a process. You know, this is going to be a process. It's going to take some time. Um, there are going to be steps going forward, steps going back. But it, you have to look at how long your child's been in you in the use in the substance use, and then realize you know that's a long period of time. So it's not going to be fixed in a couple weeks or a couple sessions or thirty days in a treatment program. I mean that's just it's just not enough. And I so I think that's where parents sort of lose patience. They want it fixed. They want to move on and get out of this uncomfortable, very painful situation and get back to normal. We kind of compare it to weight loss. (laughs) You're not going to cut a couple of meals and drop that 20 pounds. You know, it's going to take some work and some time and then results are gradual. Even though it's so life and death and urgent, you're turning that sugar on slowly. You Mm -hmm. know, um, it's, I had an experience once uh, my son was in this treatment facility and we had our parents weekend and you had to go to the parents weekend before you could visit with your loved one in the facility. And this one family, it was their first round. And she said, so what kind of a guarantee are you giving us that at the end of 30 days, our son uh, won't be drinking anymore? And I remember thinking, oh boy, <laughs> this is your first round, right? <laughs> yes, they want to, yeah, they want to know for sure. And unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. It's just, it's unfortunate, but it just doesn't work that way. And let's just take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by CCSHM, the Community Coalition for a Safe and Healthy Morris, whose mission is to prevent and reduce substance use throughout the lifespan through collaboration, education, and community-wide change. CCSHM partners with CARES, the Center for Addiction Recovery, Education, and Success, to bring prevention and recovery services to communities throughout Morris County and New Jersey. CCSHM and CARES are projects of Morris County Prevention is Key. Go to safehealthymorris.org or caresnj.org or call 973-625-1998. Kathy, just quickly, one thing that I hear about all the time is, I get the question all the time, well, our loved one isn't living with us, so I don't see how we can apply craft to them. Mm. And I'm like, well, no, there are lots of ways. Right. Yeah. And I I agree with you. I get that question too. And I think, you know, for it is, I will say, I I do agree that if the child's right in front of you and you can, you know, 
do the positive reinforcement, all that right there, and then it is more helpful. And you also will know more about what they're doing. But when they're far away, there's things that you can do. One thing that happens sometimes is the child is not talking to the parents too much and, and sort of, you know, just not answering those phone calls. And so that's an, a, a thing to start with, how you can build your relationship better with your child, how you can reach out, how you can start that conversation in a love, more loving way. Uh, on the phone conversations that you have with them, notice what they're doing well, acknowledge their work, whatever, if they're trying to change and if they are making those efforts, you know, acknowledge that. Another thing that we've talked about too is, is texting, just reaching out and letting your child know just a quick little text, you know, I love you, I'm thinking about you. Don't always expect a big response from them. Just let them know you're here, you care about them, you love them. Don't overwhelm them with, you know, I mean, don't like do it, you know, break it up, be respectful of their time and interest too. But yes, there are many th- ways you can reach out to them, even though they're not with you. So yes, so it definitely will work. And also I think to that baseline of working on yourself, I mean, that's the first piece of craft. So working on yourself, making sure you're in a better place, that you're able to respond to this in a better way. So that's a good thing to do when your child isn't right with you is to start with that piece too. Totally agree with you. Absolutely. Working on yourself. How can you help somebody else if you're in a bad state? Yeah, you really can't. I think right. that's, like, that's a, you have to come to that realization too because I can remember at the beginning mm-hmm. thinking working on myself. I'm not causing the problems. I'm responsible going to work and doing a lot, you know, like work on myself. You don't even realize how sick you are in the midst of it. Of course, I was driving and being a detective and following him and banging on doors, but that's because, you know, I would justify that. That's, I'm a mom. I'm doing what I have to. Right. Totally doing totally useless things, right? right. You might as well just be a hamster getting on a hamster wheel. Running around, running around, right. running around. And it's a gradual You're process. When a parent first has a child thrust an addiction in their face, to, it's, it's a real, you're real hard pressed to be told, well, you have to work on yourself because everything's so up in arms and in a panic. So that's kind of a process of, okay, let's calm down and put some space on this. And, and then you kind of come to see that. And that is the biggest component is working on yourself. But I think it takes some time to realize it. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I probably would have wanted to fight if I'd have been told that in the beginning. Like, you know how you kind of have to spoon feed that to parents right away because they just think you're going to do that quick fix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, Kathy, if, yes. you, if you could speak to a new family in crisis, in the middle of crisis, what would you tell them? What would be your first attack? What, what would... You know, you've got this family that just sends you an email and says, oh, my gosh, we have no idea what to do. What's the first thing you tell them? Well, you know, when they send me an email, the first thing I, you know, I want to respond to them and let them know how I appreciate what they're going through is really difficult. And usually what's best, I don't really like to respond to too much in email. I'd much rather prefer to have them talk to me. You know, it's just I I don't I don't the email is. So that's my preference. I, so I, my first step would be, you know, let's, can we have a conversation? You know, do you want to talk about this? So, so if that should happen, then yes, I would talk about, you know, first let's stay calm. What I usually do is let the parents just talk. I, I think many of these parents need to really just get it out. They have not had a lot of other people to talk to. They have the shame and the stigma to deal with. They don't want to burden their friends. So this is an opportunity just to, to get it all out, to get their feelings out. So we start with that. And then 
you know, asking them, well, what do you think are the first steps that we could, you know, what are the first steps that you think would be helpful in moving forward? And maybe we talk about some of those things. How can you, you know, help yourself first in this situation? What can you do for yourself to get everyone a little bit regrouping, taking a breath, just, you know, stopping all the negativity and seeing how you can move forward. Sometimes there's been a lot of arguing and those kind of things. So we look at that. How can we have conversations with our child that are more positive? Because that will many times minimize these reactions that our kids have. Sometimes, you know, the parents don't realize that, you know, some of the things they're saying aren't helpful. And then, you know, they come back and get into those negative arguments. So just sort of laying the groundwork for how they can work to, you know, make this a little easier and to help their child get into treatment if that's what they need or to get help. Maybe they can just do a counselor support group. Some of those kinds of things would be helpful. So just laying the groundwork, getting started on that. It's never, I mean, I have to say one session with one person, you know, with one time is just getting started. It yeah. doesn't, yeah, it, it takes so much more than that. But yes, just seeing that there are different options. I think working with parents to say, okay, what are several different things that you can do now, you know, next, what would those be? So I'm going from there. Annie, do you have any further questions for Kathy? Oh, I was just wondering if your uh, clients are primarily parents or is it ever the sister, brother, sibling, daughter, son of it? Right. They are mainly parents. Um, I have had a a wife, you know, a partner, a wife. Um, I've done that. Um, And it's usually interestingly enough, um, 99.9% moms calling in. And I talked to the partnership at one point and I said, what are your statistics? Are you having dads call in or moms call in? And there are no, mainly it's moms and they're mainly calling in about their sons. And that's what I see too. Although I do have many that have daughters. I have a number that have daughters. Um, And now I'm starting to work more with family. So it's the parents together. I have an interesting family right now where the son, so I'm sort of working with him too, but we're working together as a family. But the brother of the son is stepping up and really doing some work on helping um, because he's the one that happens to live near this son. So that's been interesting. And I have so much respect for this person for doing that. But I have not, you know, I could reach out to parents or to partners and that could be certainly another avenue, but it seems like there's so many parents that it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, it, it's like you can, you know, there's only so yeah. many hours a day and the parents seem to be the need. I think for the reason I've chosen that is because that was my experience too. Mm-hmm. I felt like that's really where I have lived this. I know how they feel. I know those feelings of just frustration and fear. Why don't you tell all of our listeners then, Kathy, just how, uh, if someone wants to get in contact with you or wants to go and read about what you do, because I know you have, you have a blog, you have a parent support group, I think, on your website, and you also have a way to get in contact with you to have that parent coaching as well. Am I wrong? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and I know my name is long and complicated. I'm not <laughs> I always think back, why did I use that for my URL? But anyway, <laughs> Kathy and I will spell it. It's kathytomba.com. It's C-A-T-H-Y, just as you spell, it. and then T-A-U-G-H-I-N B as in boy A-U-G-H dot com. So there is a blog. You can there's a contact page. They can just go right on there and contact me that way. 
there are resources there. Uh, there's books that I have found. There's a link for books that I found helpful. I do private coaching. I also have a Rise Up Mom support club. So it's moms that you know work together. We have four meetings now a month, and we're having speakers come in once a month as well. So that's been good. They have a, they've liked that a lot. I think with the different speakers coming in. I'm on a lot of the different social media sites. You can always find me there too. On Facebook, I'm on Treatment Talk. That was my original blog. So I'm still there under Treatment Talk. You can find me there as well too. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on and visiting with us. Thank you. And it's been fun to meet both of you. And also, I do feel like we're on a very similar journey. Uh, It seems like we have very similar paths. And I love it that you all seem to be as passionate about the craft approach as I am. It just seems like it's something that, you know, is really helpful. And, you know, I'm sure you hear two parents are just, you know, oh, my gosh, this is a great way to to move forward. So... Mm No, I appreciate what you're doing as well. And I love the site, The Allies in Recovery. I really enjoyed that too. It's good. It's very nice, very helpful. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. And uh, and we will, I guess we'll be back in a, in a couple of weeks, Annie. And I guess we're going to be talking more about the craft method as we get further into the podcast. Looking forward but to it. Sounds good. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Annie. Bye-bye. And we'll talk later. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to this Coming Up for Air podcast with Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall. If you're interested in reading Annie's book, Unhooked, A Mother's Story of Unhitching from the Roller Coaster of Her Son's Addiction, it's available online. Or you can simply follow the link at the bottom of one of Annie's blog posts on alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up for Air is sponsored by Allies in Recovery the online home for families facing the addiction of a loved one. Allies in Recovery can help you understand your loved one's struggle and offers effective communication strategies that encourage treatment and discourage use. In addition to interactive e-learning, Allies in Recovery offers expert advice, podcasts, tools for evaluating treatment options, recent news items, and access to a large community of families coping with issues similar to yours. Join alliesinrecovery.net today. That's alliesinrecovery, all one word, .net. Thank you for listening. Our theme music was performed and composed by cellist Eric Corey.